Welcome to the Explorer's Roundtable, where intrepid voyagers share tales of discovery and adventure and engage with scholars in discussions relevant to the science, history and literature of exploration. Here's your host for the evening, Jonathan Hal Reynolds. Good evening. Tonight at the Roundtable, we have Nils Bon Henriksen here to talk with us about the history of the Harvard Travelers Club based in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, it has served as an exploration organization for individuals connected with Harvard University, and it has had some extremely well-known members and guest lecturers through the decades. Nils, thank you for joining us here at the Roundtable tonight. First of all, how did you initially get involved with the Harvard Travelers Club, and what roles have you served in throughout your membership? Um, I had a, a dear friend, a little bit older in age, but certainly not in spirit, uh, Lou. Um, he was a member of the club. We did all sorts of hiking, backpacking, climbing, non-technical climbing trips in New England, the Pacific Northwest, um, Alaska, a few times that we loved. And he always spoke of the club. And frankly, some of the most fun I've ever had has been with Lou, um, searching for the biggest grizzlies we could find in Western Kodiak or Katmai or you know, Denali, the Wrangles, wherever it might be. And Lou became president in 2000, and I attended a few meetings. And I was quite intimidated, I have to say. Uh, I, the first meeting I went to, I remember walking up the stairs to the second floor of the Harvard Club. And at the top of the stairs, the first person I saw had a white beard and a tweed jacket and looked very professorial. In my memory, he smoked a long pipe. And just to show you how intimidated I was, this wasn't possible because indoor smoking had been outlawed years before in Massachusetts. But again, very intimidated by the whole thing. At my first meeting, I sat at a table with this charming older woman, meaning somebody probably nowhere near as old as I am now. Um, and I remember thinking, I wonder what she's done for Trump. You know, you can get a little uppity about your own travel experiences. Um, and we started talking. And oh my goodness, like in the 50s, or might have been earlier than that, I think it was in the 50s, she had bicycled the width of India. Now, you know, women weren't doing that sort of thing back then, right? And right away I thought, okay, this is going to be an interesting group. And that, that really helped me to start to love the club. So, so I joined um, in 2002, and a couple of years later, I was on the council, and by 2009, I was president, and I served for four years, and the last president to do so, um, which probably means everyone is smarter than I am. Um, one of the wonderful things about serving the club is that when you serve in a, in a role like that, past presidents and um, officers are not only invited, they're encouraged to attend all the meetings, the council meetings, and they offer wonderful advice, sage advice, and, and their experience really helps you to do things. And I benefited from that tremendously. I tried to pay that back in the years following my tenure as president. Um, then about five years ago, uh, I was asked to fill a vacancy on our nonprofit arm. It's an independent group, but it's the Harvard Travelers Club Permanent Fund, and I was named a trustee. Um, th that's been a lot of fun. We we uh, use our endowment to support a variety of projects and um, different activities in really interesting places around the world. So that's my story. 
Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the club? When did it commence and what was the club's original purpose? Well, the club was founded in November of 1902. Uh, so that's two years before the Explorers Club and 70 some years after the Royal Geographic Society was uh, founded. It was founded by five Harvard professors. And what they did is they sent out a letter to Harvard men, quote unquote, and other interested parties talking about considering the formation of a Harvard Travelers Club, two L's and Travelers back then apparently. Um, the specific objective was to support intelligent travel um, and, and exploration. I suspect, I don't have any proof of this, but I suspect it was they were hoping it would be the equivalent of a, you know, a Harvard version of a Royal Geographic Society, since that already existed and was quite well known. So, so anyway, thirty men showed up. Um, I have the numbers written down: uh, twelve were students, ten were Harvard academics, and eight were alumni. And the topic of that first meeting was bear hunting on Kodiak Island in the Alaskan Peninsula. So you can imagine there must have been tremendous testosterone flowing through that meeting. But I'm pretty sure that those men from uh, 1902 would be thrilled to learn that in 2023, the club was still in existence mm. and had conducted 906 meetings. Um, pretty Im Im impressive wow. effort by those guys to, to found a club with that sort of uh, legacy. So in the early years of um, the club, because it was sort of just put together by almost you could almost say friends, um, which is an interesting term because I think I think friends is a term that comes up a lot when I think of our club. Uh, they held meetings at the University Club, at the Harvard Union, at the Institute of Geographical um, Exploration, uh, and in and in members' homes. So, you know, it was jumping around a bit. But then in 1913, I believe it was November, the Harvard Club opened. And since then, we've had 800 meetings at the Harvard Club on Commonwealth Ave in Boston. Actually, the number I think is 796, but we'll round up for our purposes. And uh, I can assure you no other group has had that kind of um, long-term, big-time engagement um, with mm. the Harvard Club. So, so it feels like home to us. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's a beautiful club. It really is. Uh, it's, you know, that it, it's you don't build buildings like that anymore. You mm -hmm. go in and the main hall downstairs. I, I don't know what the ceiling heights are. They've got a mile's feet. You know, you feel like you're in Rome in its yeah. day day. Um, and then you go up to the Massachusetts room on the second floor where that very distinguished gentleman first intimidated the heck out of me. And you enter a room that's um, got. Pictures, of course, of all the Harvard people that have had big roles in in government, you know, whether in Massachusetts or uh, on a, the federal level. Um, pictures of chief um, justices of the Supreme Court, of governors and senators, and all names etched in the room. It's, it's really a lovely, lovely experience. Is the club's purpose research-based, or is it more providing a social space for individuals who share the common interest of travel? I would say that... that we are not research-based. We're, we're really more about providing a social space. 
um, our members become friends. Um, we have an interest in research. That's why I'm hesitating. But that's demonstrated through our Harvard Travelers Club permanent fund, right? Where we have an endowment, and from that endowment, we we do small grants. We total somewhere in the ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year in grants. Um, we have um, we we've funded a, a group last year that we provided funds to, and then the Explorers Club did the same. So so you know, there's a little bit of similarity in that in that regard. Uh, this year, we're funding a couple of projects. One is doing high altitude search for um, Inca burial sites um, down in Ecuador. We really? Pretty well known archaeologists from uh, from a university in Switzerland. Another is um, trying to use new techniques, including AI, mm. to look for lesser, smaller Mayan ruins in Guatemala. So th that's where I would say our research connection is. But but our club is more social oriented. How does the Harvard Travelers Club compare with other well known exploration organizations like the Explorers Club in New York City? and the Royal Geographical Society based in London. We certainly don't have the um, the finances or the budgets of those great organizations. I mean, those are world-class, well-known. Um, we're nowhere near as well-known as they are, obviously. Uh, but, but we do share an interest in global travel and adventure, cultural activities, uh, exploration. But at our core, we really are a New England-based club for New Englanders. That doesn't mean you're not welcome to attend. And in the age of Zoom, you know, that may change. Um, but but our our members attend many meetings. You know, we, we have eight meetings a year. Um, because of our founding by um, the academics at Harvard, our meetings follow the academic year, October through May, on uh, the second Tuesday of every month, unless there's an election in November. Um, and the third in, in May to give us more time. So, so we have these eight meetings, and members like to attend multiple meetings. And what happens is you get to know people, and if they're out there, you look for them. You you inquire about them. You check up on them later. It's it's a, it's a little different, I would say, than than those other organizations, uh, which are incredible organizations. Has the Harvard Travelers Club had any famous members through the years? Yeah. I think for our for our members, the obvious answer on famous members would be uh, Brad Washburn, um, you know, leading mountaineer of the, I think, 20s through 50s. I think that's right. I think he was at Harvard in the 20s. Um, and become famous for his striking black and white photography. I don't know if you've seen some of Brad's photos, but they're stunning uh, mountain photos. Uh, he also founded the Museum of Science in Boston. He created the definitive maps of Denali, of Everest, many others, uh, including the presidential range in New Hampshire. Um, interestingly, Brad's daughter is is a member of our club still and attends regularly and really supports the club. Uh, Norman Vaughn, the famed uh, dog sled driver and explorer, um, he was a member and he has a mountain in Antarctica named after him, so I'm going to call him famous. Um, I don't have that. Um, Charlie Houston, one of the Harvard Five Mountaineers, um, he was known for his pioneering research on high altitude medicine, um, which helped not just mountaineers, but helped airmen in World War II. 
so significant contribution. Uh, he, he might be better known for his um, biography, Brotherhood of the Rope, which hmm. recounts um, an amazing tale of tragedy and heroism on K2, um, one of the classic mountaineering books. Of uh, more recently, I would I would put my friends David Roberts, who unfortunately passed away 20 months ago, hmm. uh, and Mark Ritchie, uh, both as pretty famous. Uh, David wrote over 30 books. He was called the Dean of Adventure Writing. Um, don't know if you're familiar with his la last book published after he died, Into the Great Emptiness, about Gino Watkins, mm. who, had he not died so young, might well have become you know, one of the great explorers of our time, just given what he did in his few years. Uh, David also was an amazing mountaineer, has an unsurpassed record of first ascents in Alaska. Mark Ritchie, of course. Um, you might know Mark as a past president of the American Alpine Club. Uh, All-around great guy, two-time winner of Mountaineering's biggest award, the uh, Pilot d'Or um, out of France, and as I said, just a great guy. And, you know, of course, we've had numerous scientists, um, professors, animal specialists, uh, people whose names might not be top of mind these days, but in their day were extremely well-known and made significant contributions to society. Who have been some of the more well-known guest lecturers during the past century or so? Uh, how much time do you have, John? <laughs> it's quite a list, huh? <laughs> so, seriously, uh, many of the great adventurers of the um, 20th century spoke to us, uh, and several from the um, 21st century as well, from this century. Um, the best known would have to be Teddy Roosevelt, who spoke to us in 1911. He spoke on the subject of his hunting trip in East Africa, and you can just picture that in your mind. Wow. Really? Bully bully. Um, the dinner served that night was something that we actually replicate parts of it when we have big meetings, like we had our 900th meeting this year. And so that night they served, they had clams, they had halibut, they had black duck, they had some awful sounding pudding. And we try not to replicate that. But, uh, but we'll throw in something that's a connection to that from the past when we have a big event. But uh, famous mountain climbers have given us the most presentations. Um, mountain climbers, I would say, by far. Uh, and that really has a lot to do with the fact that um, the club really grew when the Harvard Five, um, that was Brad Washburn, Bob Bates, Ad Carter, Charlie Houston, and Terry Moore were in their prime. Uh, and so there was a real focus on mountaineering. Uh, they really helped grow the popularity of the club back then. Um, Brad spoke to the club 16 times, I believe is the number. Uh, his Harvard teammates spoke several times. Other great mountaineers and climbers who've spoken to us would include, uh, let's see here, uh, Bob, oh, I mentioned here, uh, George Mallory, um, Herr Shipton, uh, yeah. I mentioned David Roberts and Mark Ritchie before, Conrad Anker, who still climbs at an incredible level, much like Mark did. I don't want to call him old, uh, but at his age, uh, Greg Child, maybe the best all-around climber in the world in the 80s. Um, and of course, the always fascinating Alex Honnold. Um, Alex spoke to us in 2011. Uh, that was before he uh, spoke on 60 Minutes. It was before he was on the cover of National Geographic, well before he became the most famous climber in the world. Uh, polar explorers have had a huge presence in our club. Uh, 
Amundsen, Shackleton. I think we've had three or four generations of Shackleton speak to us now. Shit, wow. uh, Perry, Nordenskill, Greeley, many, many, many others. Uh, polar exploration was a, was a big deal. We've had astronauts speak, historians, as I mentioned before, as animal specialists, writers like Sebastian Younger, many, many scientists. But you know, the, the famous folks only take you so far, right? So for us, I would say, you know, those are great events, but we have a recurring event every year that I think should make us famous, and that's members. And it's just a great tradition. It's our February meeting, and we're between, excuse me, two to four members in any given year. We'll, we'll speak and show slides 10 to 20 minutes each, uh, showing us images of their travel. So, so this tradition was created when many, many decades ago, a flight from New York was canceled and a same-day speaker couldn't attend. So members got up and started speaking. And it really is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, the topics can range from, we had a woman talk about her travel to North Korea where she, I don't know what she was thinking, took pictures out the bus window of things she wasn't allowed to take pictures of, and they didn't check her camera. Wow. <laughs> Uh, climbing Everest, uh, and one of my all-time favorites, this is going to sound bizarre for an adventure club, but the Christmas bazaars of Germany. Mm. What might have been some of the most beautiful photographs I've ever seen, all of food, and I can assure you it's not because I was hungry at the time, because we get really good meals before the presentations. So those are what our speakers can be like. What are the requirements for membership? What is the membership process that's currently in place? Well, in a nutshell, um, you have to have a demonstrated interest in unusual or interesting travel. That that doesn't mean you have to hang off a cliff wall in the Karakoram, um, but you, you're looking for something in your travel more cultural or adventurous than, say, a standard Caribbean cruise or amusement park trip. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because I am from the Caribbean, so I, I understand the value of that. But uh, but we're looking for something a little more than that. The application process is spelled out on our website, www.harvardtravelersclub.org, two L's in travelers. Um, basically, we ask you to attend a couple of meetings, that you meet a couple of counselors while while there. Uh, you can attend as a guest of a member, or if you don't know anyone but you're interested in the club, you can contact us through the website, and a council member would be happy to extend an invitation, sit with you at dinner. Uh, then once you've gone through those steps, you're asked to fill out a one-page application form. The friend or the counselor will write a letter of recommendation or reference. You will attach a short travel biography, and... Um, that's about it. The sponsor puts that all together, goes to the council with it. Frankly, because we're somewhat self-selecting in that people that come to our meetings or people that tend to have similar interests to us, it's very unlikely you'd be turned down. Uh, you know, I mean, this again, there's a big social aspect to this club. So if you have the, enough interest to attend two meetings, you probably are the right person for us. And we're probably the right club for you. The fees are $250 initiation fee, one-time fee, $120 a year for annual dues, $60 a year for annual dues if you live more than 40 miles from Boston, 
we have very, very limited expenses. The dinner costs we charge you will be the cost that the Harvard Club charges us through our contract. It's a direct pass-through, including, you know, the tips and taxes and everything. Sure. The dues, which are minimal, $120 a year, they cover your the, the support for the room, multimedia costs, our mailing costs, things like that. You don't have to attend the dinner, but we really prefer if you do. In other words, you could just come to the presentation. If your finances don't really allow you to, to spend $80 on the dinner, uh, you can show up just for the presentation part after the dinner. During COVID, we moved more to Zoom meetings. So this coming year, we're going to have two Zoom meetings. They'll be in the winter. That's a decision made to help our members and guests. Uh, New England winters can be somewhat problematic. Mm. But we'll have six in-house meetings. And as I said before, our members tend to attend a lot of meetings. So, you know, it would be great if we could charge for the Zoom meetings. That would be quite a trick. <laughs> and I don't think we'll be doing that anytime soon. That's the time we are. In our ever-changing world, what do you see as being the future destiny and purpose and value of the Harvard Travelers Club and similar organizations in the coming years and decades? I hope we'll continue to promote intelligent travel, quote-unquote, and how it gives us perspective. You know, the, the world doesn't begin and end at the Atlantic and Pacific shorelines. There's a big giant world out there that can teach us so much so. So I hope we'll continue to, to promote the value of getting out there and seeing it. And I really hope that our club will continue to be a place where friends can get together, look forward to seeing old friends, have a drink, have a great dinner, a good meal, like I said, a good conversation, uh, and of course, uh, interesting presentations. All of that in a really charming building, as you know, the, the Harvard Club. So, so I, I think there's value to that. And, and while younger folks today maybe don't have the same interest they had in the early 20th century in, um, you know, formal meetings and in-person meetings the way they did then, I hope that sharing good times with friends will always be in vogue, that, you know, that, that will always be a place where that can happen. Lastly, one question I like to ask all our guests is if you have a book, film, or documentary you would recommend to our listeners. Well, Jonathan, that's the hardest question yet. Uh, so, can I give a couple of answers? Absolutely. Okay. So, so for books, um, I have to promote my friend David's uh, first book, um, Mountain of My Fear, David Roberts' book. It changed the whole form of adventure writing. And mm -hmm. really, and uh, it was no longer about heroic deeds of, you know, men battling the elements and getting up there. It was more about doubt and, you know, why am I doing this? And it really changed things. Right. Uh, but but I would say more recently, maybe not that recent, but I've always thought Joe Simpson's touching the void of his uh, climb in South America had gone horribly wrong or Hampton Sides in the Kingdom of Ice. I don't know if you're familiar with that, on the story of the Jeanette, just an outrageous story um, or all-time classics. But I'm no expert on books. Uh, I do love documentaries in a big, big way. I, I, there's so many I love. There's such compelling stories. The weirdness of Timothy Treadwell in uh, Grizzly Man, the act of killing about um, 
the killing communists, sanctioned killing of communists in Indonesia in the 60s, one of the most bizarre things I've seen. Exit through the gift shop, you know, about Banksy, who's always fascinating. Searching for Sugar Man, um, an amazing story of an incredibly talented person all but forgotten, except for in South Africa, Australia. But if I could recommend two documentaries, I would recommend My Octopus Teacher. I don't know if you saw that, but it's just a beautiful love story about a man and his octopus friend. I won't say more than that. It's, it's lovely. And then last year's Navalny, uh, which was put up by CNN and is probably available on demand on CNN, I would think, it, following the historic Russian opposition leader, Navalny. Mm. Searches for who poisoned him. He's just a fearless modern day hero who shows more courage than any modern day adventure ever could. What he's doing is remarkable. So, uh, my octopus teacher in Navalny, I would say, give those a look. To all you listeners, you can learn more about the Harvard Travelers Club at www.harvardtravelersclub.org. Nils, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us at the roundtable tonight. You were a delightful guest, and I wish you all the best in your current and future explorations. Thank you, Jonathan. It was actually fun. Thank you for tuning in to tonight's episode. We'll see you next week, back here at The Explorer's Roundtable. The Explorer's Roundtable was created to provide a place for explorers to share their tales of discovery and adventure and engage with scholars in fireside discussions relevant to the science, history, and literature of exploration. If you have a story worth telling, we invite you to share it with us at explorersroundtable.com.